0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up and find your way to Acts chapter 2, which should be familiar because we were in Acts chapter 2 last week. We are continuing through Resurgence, which is uh, this journey and season that we're walking through as we revisit the past through the book of Acts to take hold of the future that God is creating for us as a church. Uh, last week was a very powerful time of really opening ourselves up and allowing the Holy Spirit to come and to work in our lives. If you weren't here, I'd tell you to go go online and watch the message, but you're going to miss the bulk of what was experienced in this place. A lot of things happened this last week in the lives of people, not just what happened in our Sunday morning service, but subsequent this during the week, the Lord really moved on a lot of people, and a lot of things are transforming and changing in people. And so, uh, this morning, as we we kind of go into the next part of the series and the next part of of chapter 2, just a quick recap of last week, remember, so Jesus had told his disciples to wait, they waited, and then he sends his Holy Spirit who comes to bring power so that we can be his witnesses, and as we go through this, remember, this is not a description of some past event that doesn't necessarily correlate to today, this is the reality of the church unfolding in the world, which is God's purpose, not only for those followers 2,000 years ago, but it's his purpose for us today. So as you're walking through this, be mindful of that. Sometimes when we read stories in the Bible, we're like, ah, yeah, that was back then. If that was back then, you and I are big trouble. There's got to be more than just the experience of just going to church and trying to live a good life and holding on till the end until Jesus comes back and you die. If that's all that there was, then, then what, what good is there in following Jesus? There has to be something more. There has to be the dynamic of God's transforming work and His power in and through our lives. So this morning what we're going to look at is we're going to look at uh, verse 14 through the, the per- pretty much the remainder of the chapter. It's so about verse 41. There's a smaller section we'll cover next week. But this is what happens. So the Holy Spirit comes and Amazing things happen These tongues of fire come in and separate over people And they start speaking in languages they don't understand Which is kind of strange But the powerful thing is People start hearing in their own language The praises of God And it spills out into the streets And the first point The first response to what's happening From witnesses around is what These people are out of their mind They're drunk That's the only explanation that we have This can't be God They have to be drunk And immediately what they're experiencing is this thing called tension. And there is tension in our story. There's tension in the story of God. There's tension in following Jesus. And this is one of the things I think we get confused with when we try to understand what does it mean to follow Jesus. We think we surrender our life to Jesus. We confess our sins. We accept him. We receive forgiveness. And then everything's perfect. And everything is fully understood. There's no confusion. It's all clear to us. And we just live happily ever after. That is the furthest thing from the truth. Because here's the question that, that we'll look at today this is what Peter's responding to because they're asking a question without making the statement. They're asking this question Is this God? And I, whether you know it or not, you ask this question almost every day of your life. When you have something pushing in on you That God could be moving or working or challenging you You're always faced with this question Is this God doing something Or is this the enemy doing something Or is this my flesh doing something Is this God That's the question that we all have And then Peter launches into one of the most powerful messages In all of the Bible to explain Yes, this is God But one of the things that you and I have to be willing to embrace And this is one of the things that when I sit down with people We don't like this We, think we like things clean We like, like things easy and neat and tidy Following Jesus is not neat and clean and tidy read through the gospels it, it it challenges everything about you and so here's a here's an example here's a bungee cord anybody seen one of these before so a bungee cord is built to hold things together to tie things down to keep things from flying away but a bungee cord only works when there's tension if you hold a bungee cord like that there's not much tension there is there it doesn't really serve a purpose but if i attach this end to one thing and this to another and then we pull then you get tension In fact, I thought about it. I would get somebody up here And I would have them pull on one end And i pull on as hard as we can Yeah And although you would go Oh, don't do that Why would we say that? Because we're afraid Someone's going to let go And this, the tension's going to explode And somebody's going to get hurt What is that feeling? It's the feeling of I don't like tension I don't want tension So here's a newsflash If you don't want tension Then you don't know what it means To follow Jesus because one of the things, the journey of following Jesus will always push you beyond what you understand and beyond what you're comfortable with. with. Because God is God, He's not in a box, and He goes beyond our understanding and our explanation, and that's where faith comes in. To believe beyond yourself is tension. That means I'm believing in something I can't fully understand, I can't fully grasp that. And so, this is what they're experiencing in Acts chapter 2. This stuff spills out onto the streets. People are speaking in tongues. The power of God is showing up. And they're like, I don't know if this is God. And here's the question today you and I can actually be in the midst of a work of God and miss it completely because we've written it off as this is not God. Now, I'm not saying everything's God. But the greatest tragedy for us would be to walk away from an experience and never experience what God had for us. But here's one of the things, as we jump into this passage this morning, I want you to be aware of. So we were praying this morning, as we do, before every Sunday, a number of people were here. We were praying and just listening, God, what are you saying? And there was, there's always a theme that God seems to kind of stream throughout the prayers as we're, we're kind of listening to what he's saying. And part of that this morning was uh, something was shared about that God wants to do a deep work in all of us. But the question is, is God doesn't just barge his way in. He just doesn't force his way in. But he, has to, he comes into us in, in, in a way that we're open to receive what he wants to do. And so here's the analogy that was given during prayer, and I thought it was really well, really done well. All of us know that there's deep brokenness inside of us. In fact, one of the things I felt like God was saying about this morning is that he wants to satisfy the deepest hunger of our souls today. But as this analogy is being shared, it's like you and I know that there's something not right in us, that something that has to change, something that has to be transformed, and it's deep inside of us. It's like when you, when you know there's something wrong with your car and you can hear a sound and you know it's not right and it's not running well, but instead of going to the mechanic, you go to the car wash and you get it clean on the outside and somehow in your mind, you think yeah everything's fine because it looks really good on the outside. You all know that when you, when you drive out of the car wash, you feel like your car runs better psychologically, don't you? It's the same old car, just lack, lacking the dirt that it used to have. But the internal workings, the engine still has issues. The only way that you get that re- remedied is what? You've got to go to mechanic and be willing to open the hood and find out what is wrong so that it can be fixed. This morning, I want to challenge you. Are you going to come to this moment of this message that Peter's going to preach to us with vulnerability that says, okay, God, I'm opening the hood. I'm going to let you do a deep work in me because what's good, so for some of you today, you're going to be challenged by what Peter says in this passage. Because they were challenged by it back then as well. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to walk through kind of portion by portion of this passage together. And I want to start with how we respond. What is our response to the power of God? When God shows up like he did in Acts chapter 2, his Holy Spirit comes. How do we respond? So go ahead and look at verses 14 through 21. The first way we respond is this is kind of a little bit of what we talked about last week. Is that we are confused about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't necessarily bring clarity initially, but he confuses us. The, the first response is what? The, these people are drunk, and, and now we're going to get into this passage, and this is what Peter says. No, 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 they're not drunk. In fact, this is actually biblical, what's in happening in front of you. This experience was something that was predicted years and years and years ago, and now it's happening. So if you have your Bibles, let me read, starting in verse 14. So Peter's response to, they must be drunk, is this God? This is what he says. It says, but Peter, standing with the, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. "'Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, "'let this be known to you and give ear to my words. "'For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, "'since it is only the third hour of the day.'" Which means it's in the morning. Come on, guys. But, for, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Verse 17. "'And in the last days it shall be, God declares, "'that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, "'and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, "'and your young men shall see visions, "'and the old men shall dream dreams.'" Even on my male servants uh, and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who, holds, uh, who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what's Peter doing? He's going biblical on him. He's saying, you guys, you're you're challenged by this? You think this is not God? You think this is just drunkenness? Then let me show you. Let me open your Old Testament to you and show you. This is exactly what Joel was talking about, that God revealed to him thousands of years before, hundreds of years before, to say, this is coming. This is going to happen. You need to be ready for this. So Peter's explaining this. And why is that important? Because you and I have to understand that we are in what Joel described and what Peter highlighted, the last days. Now, when we say that phrase, it's always people freak out. It's like, oh, Jesus is coming tomorrow. Well, he might come tomorrow. But last days is almost like, okay, well, let's just pack up and go move to the hills and, you know, stockpile weapons and wait till Jesus comes back. That's not last days reality for the church. Last days are not just there's another day Last days is a season, it's a period It's the season between Jesus ascending back to the Father And then him coming again That's the last days That's the last days when he's not physically walking around the planet That's why he sent his spirit into the world Into his people to be the power of God Just as much as he was the power of God When he walked on the planet That's the season that we lived in It would be absolutely ridiculous to think That we are in the last days with no power We're in the last days with no presence of God we are desperate for that. And the last days are that God would do work in our lives. But, but here's the question for us. If, if our stance is because of our confusion by the Holy Spirit, we push out and get rid of the baby with the bathwater because we don't understand it, then here's what happens. We don't get to experience what the church is here for. Jesus said we're supposed to make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to reach all people. And the only way people ultimately come to Jesus is not just because they decided one day that they're going to figure out that Jesus is God, but something happens inside of them that is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's a result because the church is filled filled with the Holy Spirit, and the result is when we get to the end of the chapter, guess what, 3,000 people. That's just guys they're talking about because that's all they, they used to do. There's probably more that came to know Jesus just out of Peter's message Was that because Peter's a great preacher? Absolutely not. Read Peter in the Gospels. The guy is fumbling and stumbling and bumbling, and he's always sticking his foot in his mouth, and suddenly he gets eloquent. Is that Peter studying? No. Is it Peter practicing? No. It's Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, talking about God and people being convicted to the heart and being transformed by the Holy Spirit. You and I have to understand there's something that we have to come to grips with, which most of the rest of the world is is schooling us in right now. But in our arrogance, in our Western mindset, we don't necessarily see it. Do you know that the, the fastest arms and elements of the church are not in North America and not in Europe? That's the West. You know where they are? Everywhere else. They're in China. They're in South America. They're even in the Middle East, underground. And the church is growing. And you know the fastest growing element of the church in the world and this is not even, there's not even a close second, is what we would call the Pentecostal movement that's been going on for the last hundred years. That's where people are coming to know Jesus because what's happening is that people in different countries come to the table with spiritual powers that are are working in their lives with sicknesses and diseases and illnesses and they think it's great that Jesus is God, but what happens if I can't get freed from demons and what happens if I can't experience healing and the power of God shows up and people get saved? That's supposed to be happening worldwide. And it's supposed to be happening everywhere. Not just at certain churches that sometimes, I mean, you know, in the United States, we got one church. Oh, that's where the miracles are. So you got to go, go to Redding, California, or you got to go to Brownsville, or you got to go to Toronto. You got to. No, that's not New Testament. They didn't have an outpost of Holy Spirit power. The Holy Spirit was present with his people wherever they were. So it should happen in Antioch, it should happen in Simi Valley, it should happen everywhere we go. Why? Because the power of God is working in our lives. So if you and I are confused by the Holy Spirit, we're missing what God wants to do in our life. The power that he wants to bring for us, and it creates tension. And the point of tension, ultimately, is to pull us towards God's direction, which is what we'll talk about a little bit later. Second thing, go ahead and look at verse 22 to 28. Here's the second way we respond to God's power, and this is where Peter gets specific. We are indifferent towards the resurrection. You're like, wait a second, we're talking Holy Spirit stuff. What are you bringing in the resurrection? I'm not bringing the resurrection. Peter's bringing in the resurrection. In fact, he goes Old Testament again. He quotes from Psalm 16 and David's words, because they all had a high regard for David. David was kind of the king, the, the kind of the gold standard for kings. So what does Peter do? Look at verse 22 down to verse 28. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. I saw the Lord always before me For he is at my right hand and I may not, That I may not be shaken Therefore my heart was glad And my tongue rejoiced My flesh also will dwell in hope For you will not abandon my soul to Hades Nor let your Holy One see corruption You have made known to me the path of life And you will make me full of gladness With your presence So Why is this significant? David is Or, or Peter's quoting David Which they all knew And he's saying David was talking about Jesus David was talking about the Holy One that God would not allow to see corruption, which means death, which means Jesus actually rose from the dead. So he's going back to the Old Testament, he's going back to the scriptures, and he's saying even David saw the resurrection in the future. And now you have firsthand seen the resurrection, and yet you still are challenged and indifferent to its power in your life. The one distinguishing factor that the people of God have on the planet that is different than any other religion, any other faith, or any other philosophy is we worship a guy who's no longer dead. He's alive. No other faith, no other mentality has that reality. And it it isn't some, some trumped up, some kind of information that we've made up to say, yeah, we serve a guy who's alive. He was dead, but now he's alive. No, that is a historical fact. And I won't take time, but you can go through history, and you can find out from the Bible and outside the Scripture that the resurrection is absolutely verifiable. And the only way it's not is if you lie to cover it up, which is exactly what the religious leaders did 2,000 years ago. It didn't work well for them, did it? You can't keep down the power of God through Jesus' resurrection. Why is this important? Because you and I may not necessarily disbelieve the resurrection, but by our lives, we sometimes certainly don't reflect that we actually do believe in the resurrection if we actually believe that we serve a God who has defeated death, death is the biggest issue for all of us, but we serve a God who took care of that, how can you and I be indifferent to God's work in our lives or God's work anywhere? If we serve a God who has this, by the way, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us. If I believe the resurrection, then I have to believe there has to be more to this faith than just understanding and information and knowledge. There has to be power. Because if there's not power, then we don't believe in the resurrection. The resurrection is the pinnacle of power. Overcoming death, it's one thing to heal a blind man. It's another thing to bring somebody back from the dead. Only God can do that. That's the God we serve. That's the power that lives in us when we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. There is a hunger in us that says, listen, if Jesus is raised from the dead, then my life should reflect that every single day. That means I don't live in fear of death. Why? Because if I died, it is not the end for me. Because I know what, we just sang it today, because heaven's waiting for me. But I'm not going to wait, because heaven what? Heaven lives in me. The Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is coming into us. And that means that we get to live with that confidence. So every single day of my life, I don't live with fear anymore. Or what I live with the confidence that today is the last day of my life. Then guess what? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Somebody more powerful and more wise said that, and his name is Paul. If you and I understand that, we live differently. There has to be more than just the Christian faith. It is about understanding the scriptures and trying to be a moral person that has got to be more and i'm not going to tell this long story because i don't want to steal their story i don't like to tell too much of other people's story but i'll tell you a little bit of my parents story my parents grew up in a in a church where they they were taught that this holy spirit stuff was for the church 2000 years ago but that's not kind of stuff that happens today and so to the point where there was even tension in their own church because People started getting filled with the Holy Spirit, but that wasn't their theological perspective, and so there was tension, and so eventually my parents, and they were raised in that, they, when they got married, they ended up going onto the mission field and being missionaries in Jamaica, and my dad had his, his degree, so he was teaching in a theological seminary in Jamaica, training Jamaican leaders. And so my parents in this tension knew as they were seeing what was happening on the mission field and they knew something deep inside their hearts was missing, they kept saying, God, there has to be more than the faith that I was raised in. There has to be something more. And so they were, they were hungry, and so they were reading the Bible in a fresh way. They were listening to speakers that were outside of their theological persuasion and trying to say, God, there has to be more, there has to be more. And so then they came home for what missionaries call a break or vacation, they call furlough. And so they were home for a season of time, and during that time and through some circumstances kind of unfolded, both of my parents experienced what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in powerful, profound ways. And so then they go back to Jamaica, to the seminary where they're not allowed to talk about the Holy Spirit and when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't shut up. You can't because you see God's power everywhere. So my parents were not, my dad was not only teaching, they had a, a youth group of about 30 Jamaican kids and so they were having meetings and these kids started to get filled with Spirit and they started prophesying over each other and it's, it's like this stuff's happening. Then, then this is when it really got bad. It spilled into my dad's classroom. They start going through the book of Acts, and he starts seeing the book of Acts in a whole new light. And so he starts teaching about the power of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that God wants to come into power, and all of a sudden, word gets out to the president of the seminary. That was the beginning of the end for my parents. Because he sat my dad down and said, no, no, you can't bring that into the classroom. You, you, you can't do that. And if you're going to keep doing that, then you're going to need to find somewhere else to go and teach. And so my parents did. Left the mission field, came back to the United States, Settled in Corona, California, which is the first memories that I have. Which, by the way, I lived for a year and a half in Jamaica. I don't remember a thing. I was told I've seen pictures. That's the only thing I know of it. But something happened in them. In fact, one of the things my dad and I have talked about over the years, my dad is an amazing teacher, gifted, filled with the Holy Spirit. His favorite book in the whole Bible is the book of Acts. Which, by the way, in February, he's going to come and be a part of the series. I'm going to give him a passage and let him go to town on it. So, so those you keep asking When is your dad going to come and speak Okay, Sometime in February You'll have to figure out which Sunday So you'll have to show up every Sunday in February Okay. <laughs> so understanding that If we're indifferent we miss out on the power When we're indifferent towards the resurrection Then there's a third thing Look at verse 29 to 36 Believe it or not Our response to the power of God Is that we are resistant to the authority Of Jesus So Peter gets deeper. Listen to what he says going on, verse 29, down to verse 36. He said, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with you, are with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he's talking about Jesus, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption this jesus god raised up and that we all are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of god having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for david did not ascend into the heavens but he himself says the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool." then he says in verse 36 let all of the house of israel therefore know for certain That God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter is talking to a group of Jews who are struggling with the concept of who Jesus is, and the power of the Holy Spirit shows up, and he says, This Jesus, who you crucified, the God of the universe, has made him Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah, and he is the Lord over everything. He is the one that has ultimate authority in your life. Why is that significant for you and I because some of us haven't resolved that one yet You might be a Christian You haven't resolved the authority of Jesus in your life because your Christianity is based on what you tell God you want Instead of submitting to what he already says is true of your life There has to be this submission to the authority of who Jesus is Otherwise you and I will be struggling with trying to figure out our Christianity And trying to customize it according to what we think in fact, if I were to take you and separate you out and say you define Christianity, what it looks like for you, we'd probably have a hundred different definitions in this room. But the question is, would we would have the single most important definition, and that's who Jesus is. That's Jesus' authority in our life, and that's why there has to be something in our life that's not only tied to the, to the power of the Holy Spirit in us, but there's this submission. Here's the crazy thing: Did you know that Jesus believed in the Holy Spirit? You know how we know that because He sent Him. In the book of John, he promised and he promised and he promised and in the book of Acts, he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some opposition to Jesus. It's the Spirit of Jesus that comes into the world. He's the power of God. Why is that important for us? Because some of us have not submitted our lives to the authority of Jesus. We are calling the shots. Our faith is customized. Things are optional. We don't have to do that. Why? Because I don't feel led to. I don't feel like God's told me to. Even though you haven't submitted your life to the authority of Jesus, why is this so important? Because until Jesus is the ultimate in your life you will just be doing your own thing and slapping the label of christianity on it and i speak this not to be condemning to anybody because i'm speaking from my own experience and i've shared little bits and pieces of this but i'll tell you as a pastor you can lead a church and still not submit your life to the authority of jesus i did that because when you come out of education and you're brought up in ministry you have an idea that you think you know what you're doing and although you say you are following jesus and you say that it is god's church and you say all the things in the function of day-to-day operations of what the church looks like you don't need god to do anything that's the way i functioned for a number of years when we were in ventura until i finally reached a breaking point where i was miserable i hated my life i didn't hate the church i pastored i disliked it strongly And it was really not because the people was because of me and I planted the church so I couldn't blame anybody for the problems of the church because I created them and I was miserable and that journey led me to a breaking point that I finally surrendered my life fully to Jesus now was it that I wasn't saved for that no but I finally came under the authority of Jesus and it happened in my parents living room in Fresno where I cried no exaggeration for three hours straight till I had nothing left Because I had given up everything and I thought I have failed miserably I don't know what i'm doing and I surrendered myself to jesus and it was at that moment I literally said jesus Anything you want to do with my life anything you want to do with the church. It's all yours for the first time I was fully honest with that statement in my life That was one of the most freeing moments in my life the next morning when I woke up This huge weight had been lifted off of me because I was no longer calling the shots for my life. I was no longer the one in control. And I've shared this. The following Sunday, I came back to our church, and I changed the message for the day. It wasn't what I had planned originally. And basically, the title of the message was, Your Pastor Does Not Know What He's Doing. That was the title of the message. Can I just say how many people just freaked out? Because what had happened is that I had become the authority in their life. And if I didn't have it, then, uh uh-oh, I don't know if I really know who Jesus is if Pastor John isn't holding it together. And I'll tell you, we went through great transition. We lost a lot of people after that Sunday because I had people coming up and clapping and saying, we knew it, we're just waiting for you to admit it. And then other people coming up and saying, Pastor John, you have to have the answers. If you don't, then I don't know if God's real. I said, that's a problem. It's a problem. And we went through great transition, but, but I'll talk a little bit later about what happened kind of in the next season of our life. I want you to know here's one of the ways there's information that leads to transformation for some of you you don't believe in the truth of who Jesus is because you're still skeptical about the fact that he really did live and he really did die and he really is alive and you might need to do a little bit of research on your own to actually come to faith in that so here's here's a guide to help you there's a book called Case for Christ by Lee Strobel many of you probably read it if you haven't it's a great book Lee Strobel was a secular journalist who set out to disprove God not a good idea when he, when he studied the information and he went and did his homework, guess what he discovered? Jesus actually lived on the planet. He actually died and he actually rose from the dead. And then Lee Strobel gave his life to Jesus. So if, if you have those questions, this, th- this book goes through a lot of the different challenges to Christianity, and it, but it goes from a personal perspective of his own journey. I want to encourage you to get a hold of that book because some of you need to settle this reality. Jesus is the God of the universe. Jesus should be the Lord of our lives and the Lord of the church. Not just in word, but in the way that we live out our life. We don't just say that Antioch is Jesus' church. It is Jesus' church. And that's why we're following Jesus' plan from the book of Acts to say, Jesus define who we are. So, understanding that, submitting to the Lord Jesus. Now, there's three things primarily that will be in, look at verses 37 through 39. How do we respond to this? So, if, if what Peter's saying is, listen, this is God, this is not drunkenness, this is God. By his power, by his purpose, what he ordained before the beginning of time, this is God's plan. How do you and I respond to that plan? Peter has just eloquently refuted any person that would say this is not God. He's saying, this is God. Now what are you going to do? Now how do we respond knowing that this is God's plan for us? Look at verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That's our question. What are we going to do with this? If, if God's plan was included The coming of the Holy Spirit That we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit That we'd be gifted by His power And if that's the truth of what He said Then what are we going to do If now we've just come to the realization Hopefully not by Pastor John's preaching But by the power of the Holy Spirit Through the scriptures You just came to the realization You're cut to the heart That I have been in some regard Limiting God's power in my life Because I don't understand the Holy Spirit And now you're coming to grips With the fact that Jesus is the Lord of all And the Holy Spirit comes in power And now what am I going to do with that? Peter tells us in the next couple of verses three things of how we should respond to God's plan first thing is verse 38 change our mind Peter says this it says and Peter said to them first word repent oh man we got baggage in the church when we hear the word repent we run the other way because repentance is always negative, and repentance is that guy who's hammering hellfire and brimstorm, and you better repent, and you better turn, or you're going to burn, right? Isn't that the context of repentance? You missed the point. What is repentance? Repentance is actually begins in your mind in your heart, but it's a shift, and you begin to think about God and about the, the Holy Spirit differently than before. What Peter's saying to a bunch of Jews who have yet to fully embrace Jesus, even some who have, and now they're, questioning, is this the Holy Spirit, or is this God? He's saying, you have to change your mind. You guys are looking at this the wrong way. You don't understand this because you need to change a complete 180 from the direction that you're heading. You're not getting this because your mind is still stuck. You still have a perception. You still have a lens. You still have an agenda that you're bringing to the table that's not allowing you to engage God the way God wants you to engage Him. See, you and I have these assumptions that we make about God that need to be challenged. That's the tension of our faith. Ongoingly, I'll tell you, every single season of my life, I'm so glad that God comes along and challenges the assumptions I make about him because my assumptions put him in a box because I want to get him wrapped up nice and neat and tidy so that I can figure him out. And then he pushes in on my assumptions and says, no, we're going to challenge that assumption because you're missing something. When we lived up in oregon we lived in newburgh for seven years and if you're not uh, kind of familiar with oregon there there's a oregon has a lot of water a lot of water on the ground a lot of water that falls from the sky and in the area we lived and we were just south of portland there's a, a river called the willamette river that fl- flows up towards the north and hit eventually hits the columbia and then out to the ocean goes through downtown portland but in newburgh just southwest of portland it actually takes a curve and comes into the city limits of newburgh so we have access we've had access to the willamette river now I never grew up kind of being a river person i went to the beach and lakes okay rivers are always kind of interesting you know and it's not like rapids river this is just like a flowing river but lots of water and and uh, so we lived there for the first five years and i never ever ever came close to going in the willamette i'm like that's a river i don't go in rivers i go in lakes or the ocean that was kind of my thing but there are times i would drive because it's kind of scenic there's a boat ramp down at the south part of town and so i would drive down there and just look at the water flowing. You had if you're coming in the south of on the south part of Newburgh, you have to f- drive over the Willamette. It's a beautiful view, but in my mind, I'm like, why would you ever want to go? Now, at the time, we had a lot of people in our church who had boats, and they would talk about going out on the river. Now, for me, I always like when I was growing up, going out on the river meant like going like to, you know, somewhere far away to a river because there's no rivers that run through Southern California very well, are there? We have a wash. We don't have a river, right? If you've wa- walked in that. But so finally, a couple in our church said, hey, you know what? We'd love to take you and your family out on our boat on the river. I'm like, oh, the river. And by the way, Kim will tell you this too because Kim's not a river person either. We're like, okay, if you want to take us out there. I'm like, yeah, you can go tubing, you can go you can water skiing, whatever, wakeboarding, whatever you want to do. I'm like, okay, let's do it. So, so afternoon, one afternoon, about four or five, we went out onto on the river. And so uh, we got us out, out on, on inner tubes on the back of a boat. And, and uh, I took turns with Courtney and Jordan. We would do kind of tandem that we do together. And I remember getting out there and, and I had water skied before and things like that. But I'm telling you, getting on an under tube and just getting knocked out of your mind is so much fun. Anybody done it before? <laughs> I mean, especially when the goal of the driver is to knock you off. So he's taking wild turns, and you're coming back over the wake, and you're going airborne, and you're just trying to hang on. And In fact, one time I went airborne, I landed right on top of Courtney, freaked her out. I thought it was hilarious. It was fun. And, and we were out on the water until, you know, sun went down. I don't know. So we were out three or four hours, and it was a blast. And I remember thinking to myself, as I'm enjoying this thing, for five years, this river has been here. <laughs> and for five years, we've had people in our church that offered to take us on this river, but I always said, there's something else I have to do. And finally, after five years, I figured out, this is actually pretty fun. And so now every time I looked at the Willamette River, I looked like, oh, I'm not a river person. I'm like, when's the next time that couple's going to invite us to go? And they did. And we enjoyed time on the river, and I'm like... Hey, this was fun. But for five years, I was convinced, what in the world would you do enjoying yourself on the Willamette River only to realize I was missing it completely? See, you don't have a mindset about the way God works. And unless you surrender that mindset to the authority of Jesus, you will always try to put him in a box. You will always assume this is the way God works. Why? Because this is the way it worked in the past, or this is what I get comfortable with. That's why what's difficult is when we set, when God moves and out of God moving, we set tradition in the church, and then we become more faithful to the tradition than we do the one who is the author of the tradition. That's why there has to be change and renewal in churches. You just can't keep going along the same route. There has to be something changed and different in our lives. And then there's a second thing. Look at, again, verse 38. So he says, repent. Then he goes on and do what? He says, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You and I have to be willing to change our direction. I began to see things differently as God d- shows himself to me as I surrendered to the authority of Jesus and let him define things. And so now I actually make a decision in my life. I'm now going to take the, dis- the, the choice to change my practice It's not enough just to think right way. You've got to act in the right way. And here's the opportunity that that Peter's giving to them. He uses the term baptized because this is powerful. Now, he's saying to a bunch of Jews in the first century, baptism. Now, we understand baptism in the Christian faith is the outward sign of the inward work that God has done in you. It's that first step of obedience that I am identifying myself with Jesus when I lowered into the water, his death and then his resurrection, and that's something that we all do when we come in or we should do as a way of saying publicly, I belong to Jesus. Now, when Peter says this to a group of first century Jews, that's not what their interpretation, their understanding was. Their understanding of baptism for them was a little bit different. Baptism came along in pagan con- conversion, which means those who were converts to Judaism, who may not have even been circumcised, would go through baptism at times. So for Peter to say, you need to be baptized, they would be offended. Like, are you calling us pagans? Are you saying that we don't even know the God of the Bible? We don't even know the God of the universe? Peter's challenging their thought process. He's saying, you need to change your direction of the way you function, and you need to be baptized and take the first step of action. Now your direction's changed. What is baptism? It's the outward sign of repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance, it is ba- in its simplest term, is a U-turn. Repentance is not an adjustment. It's not a course correction. It's not like, ah, I'll just change my course about mm, five degrees and I'll be okay. No. Repentance is a U-turn. It is turning away from the way that you thought and the way that you lived and heading in the direction that God wants you to. If you keep heading the same direction without a U-turn, you'll never get to where God wants you to be because he's behind you. And he's called you and he gives you moments where he brings along a sign. He brings along a moment He brings along a season and he's trying to get your attention He's saying listen, you've got to turn around because your thinking and your actions are going the wrong direction and something has to change you And now is the moment to do that. Don't miss the moment Don't miss the moment that god is calling you to change Another thing that's interesting about oregon. Not only is there a lot of water but the rules of the road when you drive in Oregon are a little bit different than California. And one of the rules of the road in in, in Oregon that's different than California is the way that you approach a U-turn. See, in California, you can legally make a U-turn any place you want except when it's posted not to do so. That's the rules in California. So if you want to make a U-turn, you can, but if it says no U-turn, you can't. It's the opposite in Oregon. By default, you're not allowed to U-turn at any intersection unless It's posted and says, it's okay to U-turn. So when you drive in Oregon, one of the things that you learn is that if you want to make a U-turn and there's no sign, don't make a U-turn. But when a sign shows up and you can make a U-turn, what do you do? You take your opportunity to make a U-turn because you don't know how long you're going to drive before you get the opportunity to make a U-turn. And in Oregon, that could be miles. But when the sign pops up, you're like, okay, I'm making a U-turn right now because I don't know when the next opportunity is going to come along. Peter's saying to a group of Jews, This is your moment. The Holy Spirit has shown up in power. Amazing things are happening, and God is trying to get your attention so that you'll change your mind and change your direction and head in the direction God wants you to. And I'm convinced 2,000 years later, God says to Antioch Church, This is your moment, this is your season. Not to be redefined according to what you think Pastor John is saying, but redefined according to what Jesus is saying that probably is going to look different than what your faith has looked like before. Not different in opposition, but different in structure and different in the way that you view things and and different in the way you live your life. We all know the church needs to change and we're the church because in North America right now, we're not going to lose the war, but I'll tell you right now, we are losing the battle. We are not keeping up with the population growth in terms of people coming to know Jesus. We are not making disciples. And that is true of Antioch. That is true of every, every church in our city, every church across America. What does that mean? We don't need more programs. We don't need more cool lights and sound and a better pro- all that. We don't need that. What do we need? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all the church has needed for thousands of years. And if we would just get back to what? Going back to the past to take hold of the future means it's almost like back to the future. It's what it is It's going back to what Jesus said originally And we get off And we try all these things And then he pulls us back By the way you know what that's called When he pulls us back It's called revival It's when God brings correction to the church Which by the way People who pray for revival Always think Oh we're praying for people to get saved No no Revival is when God comes And finally gets a hold of his church And corrects his church in grace And convicts his church And then his church gets on fire again And guess what People come to know Jesus It starts with us Revival doesn't happen out there. It happens in here first. And then, and then, just like here, where did it happen? It happened with 120 people in an upper room. God shows up and then it spills into the street. The result is 3,000 people get saved in one day. But it started where? In a group of believers who surrendered their lives to Jesus, submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit, and God showed up. That's what God has for us today. And then, here's the third reality. And the worship team will join us for the final song. Our final response to God's plan is that we have to change our agenda. So here it is, verse 39, Peter says this, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So Jesus has defeated sin and death through his resurrection. He sends the power of the Holy Spirit and there's something that has to happen. You and I, this is, I'm telling you, Hear me on this. I'm not trying to promote anything at our church, but I'm telling you one of the reasons that we lean so heavily on attendance to Align. The Align seminar is the front door of our church, and there are people in our church who have been here longer than I have, and you still haven't gone through Align because you're like, oh, it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. One of the things that Align does in the first section challenges our agendas and assumptions about church because we don't spend, we're not until, until you're in there for probably an hour and a half, we don't even talk about Antioch. We talk about the gospel. The gospel is what dictates who we are as a church and why we do what we do as a church. And so the point of understanding is that so many times people push back on what's going on in our church, not realizing you have an agenda that you've brought to the table that hasn't been submitted to the gospel yet, and when it's submitted to the gospel, then guess what? Your agenda will change. I'm just saying that that's one of the reasons, because as I've been doing this. This is the third church I pastored. I always encounter people with agendas all the time. And if you're not willing to surrender, and it's not Pastor John's plan, we are trying to navigate, God, how do we become the church you want us to be? Looking at the New Testament, saying, God, what does this look like? And so because of that, you and I have to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to lay down my agenda. Your agenda may be what you traditionally grew up in. It may be something that you've been a part of forever, and you think, oh, this is the way God works. And God's saying, yeah, that's not bad, but I have something better right now that I want you to engage in and be a part of. But here's the thing that has to happen for you to fully embrace God's work through the Holy Spirit, and this is what is hard for us. You can't just exchange one agenda for another. You're like, wait, wait, I'm am I, am I getting get ring my agenda so I can embrace God's agenda. No, 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 let me, let me help you understand. The only way you can embrace God's, God's agenda is if you have no agenda. That's different. And this is what happens. God gets a hold of you in such a way that you surrender to Him that you allow yourself to be undefined. We don't like that that's tension well wait, wait, wait. i have to have the answers i have to have it together i have to no 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 no. Here, here's what happens you, you read through the through acts and you'll see by the way when paul eventually gets saved and jesus appears to him he was undefined he was wrecked he didn't have the answers and all of his jewish upbringing and synagogue training and all the things that he had in the temple paul did not have a category for jesus showing up And blinding him And then eventually Filling him with the Holy Spirit And changing the scope And the purpose of his life And so Paul had to say Okay, and I I don't understand all this But I surrender myself to you You and I have to be willing To be undefined So for me I I told you Three hours Of weeping In my parents' living room In Fresno And the next morning Waking up with this, this weight That was lifted off of me And here's Here's the hard part Walk back into the church That I pastored for about five years and saying to our people, I'm being honest with you, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm okay with that. And I'll tell you why I'm okay with that, because I know God knows what he's doing and he's changing us and he's renewing us. And we went through a season of a couple years of being completely undefined as a church. I'll tell you, those were some of the best times in the history of the church when I was there in Ventura because we were surrendered to the Holy Spirit. You know what came out of that? number of things one of the things is we just knew we needed to pray and so for a season we actually started 24 hours of prayer ongoingly we we removed moved some of our uh, facility structure around created a prayer space that literally for a season of time we had somebody in that prayer room room 24 hours a day on our increments praying for our city praying for our church crying out to god and then we moved it to once a week where we had at least one cycle of 24 i remember taking the night shift 2 a.m. Nobody's out on the streets of Ventura at 2 a.m. Eh, maybe some people who shouldn't be out on the streets at 2 a.m. are out there. But I remember getting to the church and you'd hand off the baton someone would come out. In fact, I remember Tracy Davis like taking the 1 1 a.m. She'd come out of the building, give her a high five. She'd head off to Fillmore and I'd go in. I just that time alone with God and God, what do you want to do? That set up for the next season when we came and we moved to Newburgh and I remember, here's what happened when I got to Newburgh. He said, okay, God, you're already at work in this church. You already at work in the city. It's not my job to bring an agenda. It's my job to say, God, what are you doing? So we walked into that church, and let me tell you, in the first 18 months, you I cannot tell you how many times I was asked this question. Here's the question people ask: Pastor, what's the purpose of the church? What's the vision of the church? What is it? And I would confidently say, I don't know. And they're like, We just hired you from California to come pastor this church, and you don't know. I said, yeah, isn't it great? But I said, God knows. I said, i guarantee he's going to show us who we're supposed to be as a church. But we have to figure out what he's doing first before we start coming to him with an agenda and say, God bless our agenda. And so for 18 months, we were undefined. And then in the 18, after 18 months, some radical things started to happen through dreams that God gave and through identifying the enemy's work among us. And I'll tell you what had happened. Just so you know, it isn't about numbers. The church was 500 when we got there. It was 400 after a year and a half. We'd have, imagined, we'd have figured out how to run 100 people off. And then for the next four and a half years, the church kept growing and kept growing. And when we left, the church was 700 people. I don't say that because, oh, look at me. No, no, what I'm saying is we surrendered to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you come and fulfill your agenda? Show us what that is. And that's for our church. God, what is your agenda for Simi Valley? Let's not just assume we know. That's why we do Pray See Me every year is not just to have a season of prayer. It's to get into the streets, open our eyes and pray, God, what are you doing in our city? What are you calling us to do? You've given us the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we want to go out and live that out in the streets. We want to live it in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, because our city, our cities are dying for the power of God. We're not meeting it as a church. So something has to change in us. So we're going to go into... A final song together, and it's the song that we sang last week. But, but I want you to understand one of the most amazing things, and this is what how God works. God wants to fill us with the Spirit. We're gonna we're gonna sing this last song together. But I want you to to allow it to be a time where you're undefined before the Lord. You know the end of the chapter, and we'll just almost to the end of the chapter, and when it says that three thousand people came to faith and were baptized, I want you to understand the power of what's going on in this passage peter of all of the disciples was the last person that should have done what he did he's the one that failed the worst that of all of them other than judas who obviously wasn't even on the scene anymore because he had taken his own life but peter is the one who stands up and in in powerful way references quotes the bible Spontaneously, without any preparation to say Jesus is the one that David talked about. Jesus is the one who was dead and is alive. Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who's the Lord over all things. And then 3,000 people get saved. What does that say to you? That says to me that Jesus is just looking for people who are obedient and willing. Not powerful and gifted and skilled and have all the answers. No, 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 no. That wasn't Peter. And that means what did Peter have that sometimes you and I forget that we are supposed to have? He was filled spirit that's the only way peter did that i would love in our city for something crazy to happen and in the moment I'm like well i better give explanation to this and then three thousand people get saved not in a church but on the street that's a god thing can it happen oh i hope so i believe so so as we sing this last song i'm going to ask you to do something just close your eyes would you be willing to surrender your agenda today your perception of the way God works, your perception of the power of God through his spirit. And maybe God did something wonderful in you last week. Maybe he didn't. Maybe you walked away the same last week as you came in. But but now you're coming and saying, okay, God, I'm willing to surrender my agenda, my assumptions, what I view and understand is to be my faith or Christianity and say, Jesus, would you now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you redefine? what it looks like to follow you. So Jesus, in these next few moments, as we conclude and we sing this song, would you come by your power, Lord? We need more of your power. We need your Holy Spirit to move and to redefine and to change us so that, Lord, our understanding of who you are is not determined by us, but it's determined by you as you reveal yourself to us. So Jesus, would you in these moments, would you send your Spirit... And fill us again, Lord, if you want to equip us with power and with gifts, if you want to bring healing in this room, Lord Jesus, it is your church, it is your morning, it is your agenda. Would you fulfill it in us today?